by Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Prisoners, starring Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal, directed by Denny Villeneuve. Welcome back to Rice Smile Films. We are uh, on film three of the cast of Who Done It. We talk about it, and boy, do we have a Who Done It to talk about today. As we've mentioned, is we're kind of defining it as a mystery of sorts. Last week it was an assassination. The first uh, shot in the dark was like a straight like um, like murder slu- mystery, sleuthing murder mystery. And now we got a, a kidnapping to kind of figure out who's responsible for this with a little sleepy film from 2013, Prisoners, which. Which just kind of, I think, surprised both you and I and just like how really well made this film was. And I, I know a lot of people that haven't seen it. So it's another one I'm always recommending. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about it. Hopefully it'll stir up some interest in there. And we I, kind of told Ryan Nation maybe check it out this week before the podcast. I, I mean, I wrote on a lot of comments of people yeah. saying, I was like, definitely check it out if you can, because there's a lot of like great twists along the way that I don't think you want ruined for you. Some of the stuff we purposely delayed or dragged our feet on so that people didn't listen to the podcast before they saw the film. Uh, before we get going in this, just kind of one more heads up, warning um, to the Ryan Nation, if you haven't seen this movie, I really would recommend seeing it before you listen to it because we're going to take the teeth out of what's a pretty phenomenal ending when we blow this up. So again, get through the the flight here, and then when we start breaking it down, maybe consider popping it in. It's about two hours long. Mm-hmm. It's it's going to be worth your view. Even if you don't like the film, you can't leave this film without having some thoughts about it. Yeah, even when I was watching it, there was a, kind of, there was a few things happening. And I was like, I kind of forgot that it happened. So mm-hmm. it was kind of a nice refresher. And it's shockingly, it's a Thanksgiving movie. It is, yeah. It's, it starts on Thanksgiving. Yeah. But let's kind of build up to that. Let's pour ourselves some more of this 1792. It's been a good bottle. Been a good bottle. And then this is, of course, all leading up to Knives Out, which is coming out next... Uh, Next week, I believe it starts on Tuesday, Tuesday yep. release for the Thanksgiving weekend. Do you know when you're going to go yet? I uh, do not yet, so going to check that out. But thank you, Matt. Cheers. Cheers, Jesse. Cheers, Rye Nation. Cheers, Rye Nation. Mm-hmm. It's got that slightly under room temperature by your window seal effect this morning. It does, yeah. I really like that, man. I have like my own like self chilling uh environmental mechanism being it's out nice isn't it being there by the window put ice in there but it waters it down a little bit exactly this doesn't need that mm-hmm. so i think that's a nice effect on it yeah i haven't even we haven't even really been using like the whiskey sandstones either to kind of like make it cold i think just like a nice room temperature bourbon whiskey or rye actually is kind of my preferred now i'm gonna look into next week before we get on yeah the preferred temperature and see what flavors are enhanced in that yeah and like where it's actually per bourbon uh, gourmet aficionado's temperature that it's supposed to be served at. Definitely. I'm curious. About yeah, that, that would be pretty cool. Because actually, maybe, and I'm in the minority on this, and I'm not a huge wine guy. Yeah. But I always liked a little bit of, not ice cubes, uh-huh. but a little bit of chill or cool in my red wine too. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so um, by the window seal or whatever works there, and it's kind of working on this, mm-hmm. it's just the same. Excellent. All right. All right, let's get right into it. We have uh, our flight for this week, kind of thinking about Prisoners and how Matt and I kind of came into this movie, kind of very surprised. It was a mystery of sorts to us. So we kind of mentioned the poster is 
and the trailer are both, I think, pretty awful. Like, it's a really bad poster. It looks photoshopped. It looks like garbage. It's a terrible poster. It looks like one of those films, you know, you kind of see, like, like a film with, like, Bruce Willis and, like, Cuba Gooding Jr. and, like, some other well-known star. And it's like a straight-to-DVD film. That's what the poster looks like. They don't look real in that picture right there. Especially Hugh Jackman and the way that it's his face is illuminated. It just looks, like, almost hand-drawn. And, and you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of... Like the Wolfman, like a Wolfman, he looks like a PS4 game. Like he looks like a video game character. And I gotta tell you, the maze in the background for what the impact of that is in the film. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's the right background either. Yeah, so yeah, bad marketing. And then the trailer doesn't even sell the movie really well. So how we ended up still watching the movie is just remarkable. So Matt, my flight question to you, and this is a, this is gonna be a fun one, I think. What's an other film or your favorite film that you absolutely wanted, absolutely no part of, weren't interested in, but maybe got around to seeing and it absolutely kind of just blew you away? My road to this film was a road that almost never occurred. Mm -hmm. We used to be on a listserv and on occasion we would get sneak preview tickets to upcoming features. And we'd gone to like three or four of these. And it would be the week before, maybe sometimes in the case, maybe a month before. Mm -hmm. And the movies were all right. Yeah. But the problem with that was the crowd that I saw it with was Bring the Pickle from Home Army. You know what I'm talking about? Sure, yeah. Like equipped with two cans of Blue Sky Soda and enough pickles and Ziploc bags of home (laughs) goodies to where it just had a weird... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole thing was just weird. Sure. The, the people in there were weird. Yeah. And it was the same crew mm-hmm. at every episode, and it was the same two people doling out the tickets at the door at every... It was it was weird. Wow. So we scored tickets okay. to this particular film. Okay. And it was one that I had seen the trailer for, and I kind of just brushed off as like, ah, oh, gosh, that's just another rom-com vehicle. And it, I wouldn't say it left me cold, I didn't turn over to my wife and say, forget it, like some movies I do. Mm-hmm. But I just like, yeah, well, well, here we go. Another Rachel McAdams vehicle that's yeah. going to look like every other one where she's just cute. Mm-hmm. So the night came and we were sort of back and forth and we, we had the tickets. We weren't sure we were going to go. And then there was almost an issue with babysitting. Anyway, sort of the stars aligned. Mm-hmm. We managed mm-hmm. to get there and we got into about time. Mm-hmm. And I just sat down and I thought, ah, it's a free movie and I don't have a whole lot to do tonight, so let's just enjoy it. Yeah. And I think for about the first half of that movie, it's exactly what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. This sort of Britishy, a little bit uptight and proper humor wrapped around a fairly recognizable cast with common rom-com tropes. Yeah, you got got your regular British players in there. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And then the second half of that movie turned into something that makes it one of my 10 greatest movies of all time. Mm-hmm. And it involves a rom-com with time travel. Yeah. We have killed time travel on this podcast. Yeah. But that movie handles it really, really well. I think because it, it takes it, it's not so serious about it. it. It's it's just, it's loose with it because at the meat of this story, it's not about the time travel. It's about, you know, kind of what you do with that time. And it's kind of simple. Yeah. So the butterfly effect, even though it isn't called that in the film, Mm -hmm. is dealt with and it has impact of what you do in the future versus the present. But the story ends up being this really compelling tale of family dynamics. There isn't really per se a bad guy in the movie. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of a cast of many, many likable characters that you're sort of pulling for all of them in different ways. And it's funny and... 
the last I don't know, 20 minutes of that film, man, I was just an absolute wreck. I was crying my eyes out. And I don't want to give it away because I imagine we'll probably do this film someday. We definitely should. But it, it was, uh, I think, honestly, Jesse, that's probably next to maybe right up there with Creed 2. Mm-hmm. As hard as I've ever kind of lost it in a film. And, you know, there's a few moments where you kind of wipe away the tear and hope to God that nobody around you sees it. And, yeah. like, I'll, I, I'm that guy. Yeah. But this was just not a, a simple wipe away wasn't going to clear mm-hmm. the, te- the tears rolling down my cheeks. So we got home after the film was over. My mom was sitting on the couch and she looked at both of us and just said, are you guys OK? Because we looked wiped out. Yeah. And I was like, I think we're better than OK. That might have been maybe one of the greatest films I've ever seen. And so that just not being wiped out in like like a like a like a bad way, like like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo wipes me out and I got to like come home and take a shower. This is like wiped out. Like seven, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 This is it's a different type of emotion that's playing with you. Yeah. Yeah. And for you, for you and I, yeah. that's a theme that you and I are interested in, like to write about, discuss a lot, and that's the family dynamic sure. theme. We like that theme. Mm-hmm. It just hit home, and it almost never happened. And, you know, honestly, if we had probably pulled the plug and not gone that night, you'd probably never see it. And yeah, maybe then you never see it. Exactly. And then we never, you know. We never get to talk about it. So... Yeah, it's about time. And I actually, lo- sometimes I, I kind of go back and forth on what it was. Yeah. This wasn't even close. Yeah. It, it's this one by a mile. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I don't even I'll, you, those perfect uh, explanation of that. It's I'll just kind of say this, and this is the only thing I'll say about because we should talk about this film on a future episode. Yeah. It's easily making my top 10 of the decade from 2010 to 2019. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. I can't re- recommend it higher uh that was great I'm, i love that you told a story because i'm going to k- kind of tell a little story with mine too I'm so to hear it. let's go so i had a bit of a problem when i was a kid uh i i tended to like the same types of movies which essentially meant i wanted to rent or watch the same movies over and over again mm. tim burton's batman and home alone were at the top of man my love affair with home alone everything needed to be that maybe it's that physical comedy that i really liked yeah but right, it, sure. it, it could never be like home. That was that's such a great smart comedy that film, and so my mom had a real problem, you know, being that you know I'm an only child, and you know she was she was a nurse that worked at the school that I went to, so she had the summers off with me, but she had problems like taking me to movies because I never wanted to go see new things because I wanted to watch the old things. Mm-hmm. So I would kick and scream, and I would never want to go along. And so finally, she took me to one. I think this is like 1999. I wanted no part of it. I was like trying to find any way to get out of it. I think even tried to say I didn't feel good. But she's like steadfast. We're going to see this. And that's Galaxy Quest. Uh, 1999, uh, Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Sam Rockwell, Tony Shalhoub. If you've, I'm sure a lot of people have seen this film. I I think this is a very smartly written science fiction comedy that harkens back to the has-been nature of the William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy's of the Star Trek days. To tell a funny, smart like story that is... When we were in that, I, I, I just totally ate it up. I was so thankful that she had taken me to see this. And, you know, maybe I would have come around to seeing that later in life. But it would have been a long time. And so that was like kind of like a forced kind of, please watch this. And I was so thankful for it. That's one of my favorite comedies of all time. Uh, it was originally supposed to be kind of an R-rated comedy. They, they were supposed to be a lot, lot raunchier mm. than it ended up being, but 
that still works for me in its in its current form. And I just kind of say that 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 kind of like really honed in on me on how I recommend films. I think I get a lot more enjoyment out of like showing people things for the first time and recommending choices versus like me like getting to watch things. I love seeing people react to like getting to show you wreck like that was a great day sure. because i got to see like if like just mac and like gets get freaked out in the right places or what's he gonna think of this sometimes recommendations might fall flat but you know like sometimes like it's just what someone else is looking for and i think that's the beauty of film like it's harder to recommend a book because that's a lot of time easier to recommend a film because you could watch that in an hour and a half to two hours and it's it's something i absolutely love about the medium and it harkens back to the film we're going to talk about today, which was a recommendation from you. You need to see this. And it took me a little a little while to see it a couple months. But when I did, I was just like, Jesus Christ, like, mm-hmm. I'm glad I did. So Galaxy Quest is one of those movies that's on. You can watch it over and over and over mm-hmm. again. Uh, that's a big family favorite in my house, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think those are those are great choices. Mm-hmm. The sneaky ones are the ones that that we like. Yeah, right? those that's, that's that's the fun part about film. I love the sneaky film hits. We spend a lot of time, I think, especially this year in particular, this first year of of Rice Smile. Mm-hmm. Which which episode is this now? Forty five. My goodness. Mm-hmm. We spent, I think, a significant amount of time in this podcast talking about the letdowns for movies that we either thought were going to be great or just. Gave it a hope and it ended up like the failure in film. Yeah. Especially contemporarily. Like we have very few entries that are contemporary movies in this podcast that we're both like, that's a great film. Yeah. I, I'm off the top of my head. Can we think of, <laughs> can we have, we have one contemporary film this whole 55 or 45 entries that was top shelf? That we were like, no, oh no. I don't think we do either. Because no. we didn't do Rocket Man. Nope. And maybe Knives Out is the Hail Mary. Maybe. So that being said. Yeah. We don't spend enough time talking about the sleepers, except maybe for today. And mm-hmm. you could also maybe even argue blow up from last sure. week a little bit. That was kind of sleepy when I found that. Sure. Yeah. So I think to celebrating the hidden good instead of the perceived letdown, let's raise them up to yeah, that. Yeah, raise up to that. Obviously, it, you can tell where guys we're going with this when we both really like this film. So. Yeah. I think that the conversation is going to be really interesting, too, because as I was watching it last night... There's a lot going on in this film, like uh-huh. a lot. And some of it is, you know, good payoff and some kind of is, you know, kind of stuck in a maze. But like, I, I think there's a lot to, to dissect. So let's just get right into it. Happy hour time. Here we go. Might want to pause now if you haven't seen it. Go watch it. Come back to this this film, Mark, 15 minutes in. And let's get right to our review of Prisoners. up with a hunting trip of of sorts between father uh keller dover and his son ralph with a really eloquent kind of reading of the hell the hell mary yes so we're kind of really getting right from the beginning that hugh jackman's character uh, keller dover is a man of religious integrity of sorts which is interesting there's a lot of you know cross images and there's several scenes throughout where like his crucifix that he wears around his neck like always kind of popping out which is 
just going to be fascinating when he goes down the path that he goes down. First thing I just want to say is I, I love Hugh Jackman like as an actor. Mm-hmm. And, and you can say a lot about there's just so many rumors about you know Tom Hanks being nice and you know uh, we mentioned The Rock and the rumor I've heard is one of the nicest people in Hollywood is actually Steve Carell. But I know without of a doubt, and I just and this never has to be told to me. I know Hugh Jackman is one of the nicest men in Hollywood. Like probably th- could sit down at Thanksgiving dinner with us and not miss a beat. Yeah, and it doesn't we, have that air of importance to him. And if we wanted to nerd out about X Men and Wolverine, he let us do it and be totally cool with it. Like he doesn't seem. Yeah, exactly. That. Do you know where he cut his teeth in entertainment? Yeah, like Broadway. Broadway. Yeah, Australian Broadway. Yeah, he's so immensely talented. You can be. Ripped out Wolverine and you know, mm-hmm. Broadway mm-hmm. musical. Like he is so 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 talented. Talented, but then you go from like those type of characters. And Wolverine's a fairly intense man. Yeah, he's yeah. got nothing on Keller Dover. Like That's true. this is a man who's gonna brooding, brooding, intense. Uh, how some parents might uh, react in a situation much like this. We'll come back to his character later, but I, I think this is a great performance by Hugh Jackman just because it's so different than anything he's ever done before. Mm. And it, it really shreds that like kind of nice image that I know he has in real life. I think for him, certain people are typecast in roles and they're always going to be remembered as that. And we've talked about that. Yeah. He's always going to be Wolverine. Sure. And I think in some cases he's made some poor choices that have maybe... Swordfish? Brockham Sockham robots or whatever. That, oh, like, real been, steel, real yeah, steel. Whatever. Like, yeah. They've made a few yeah. questions, like everybody. This, however, wasn't. Mm-mm. And I'm not. I'd love to find the story of how the script made it from his agent's I, hands I, into his. You uh, got I, it. I don't have for him, but I have stuff about the script. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. Because this wasn't a misstep. Yeah. This could be a. This in any other time mm-hmm. is a career-defining role. Yeah. But somehow. For all the misses that I'm sure we'll get into with this movie, sadly so, it ends up being mostly not seen. Just quiet. Even by his fans. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think we're off to kind of like a really great start in setting up this family dynamic between the Dovers and the Birches. I forgot Viola Davis was in this movie. Mm-hmm. This is a great cast. Maria Bello, Terrence Howard, uh, yeah, Viola Davis. Marissa Leo. Marissa Leo and Paul, Paul, da- Dano. Paul, Paul Dano. Like We're not working with... B-list players like this is like these people are like at the top of their game in Hollywood at this time right making this film Mm -hmm. so it's Thanksgiving time time to be thankful and you know thing that's when you know things go awry but I think seeds are planted that we do get paid off later one of them's this this whistle that his youngest daughter (laughs) has and trying to find it and the parents keep saying well we'll buy you a new one and we will worry about that later. And then later during the Thanksgiving hangover, which we're all going to indulge in next week. What's your favorite Thanksgiving dish, Matt? Mm, my family does a broccoli Ritz cheese casserole thing Ooh, that is to die for. That's awesome. Okay, I've always been a stuffing man. That's good, too. I love stuffing. Like, it's, it's, There's not a lot of misses on that table at Thanksgiving, is there? Yeah. Are you a cranberry Hell sauce? Yeah. Really? Yeah, um, that's maybe that's one I can't get behind. And my mom does a sweet potato casserole oh. with the marshmallows and the brown sugar. Oh, yeah. You know, my dad one time yeah. 
uh, Thanksgiving gave me his recipe after he did it of twice baked sweet potatoes. Mm. So basically take it out, mush it, put the molasses and the marshmallow and then put it back in the shells and bake them again with bread. Oh my. That sounds great. And they're delicious, but they are quite, quite the task. That's great. And I recently, in the last couple of years, I just came around to pecan pie. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, where have you been my whole life? Yeah. I'm not a pumpkin pie guy. I'll just say that right now, but pecan, hell yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they sat down to that in the post hangover and the little girls want to go over to the house. They live a few doors down to go look for this, uh, this whistle. Again, they're like, yeah, we'll find it. But the, they, they take off. But the siblings, the older siblings, uh, the Dover and the Birch, were supposed to accompany them. Right. And I like how we kind of cut back to, uh, you know, them. And it starts out small at first as kind of, you know, anything does. Like, where's your sister's at? Or like, they may just be playing at the house. Let's go. They're not there. Maybe they're in our backyard. They're not there. Maybe they're just, they're not there. So now we're in kind of full panic mode. But this was set up earlier, too, with this mysterious RV just parked in the street. So what do you think of that? I think that the title of this film is really important to the movie. Yes. If you notice, it's plural, Mm -hmm. not singular. We're going to get to the singular moment, if you want, that might be the most prisoner-type moment. Yeah. But I guess I'll start with this. For me, the movie is... Stories of lots of people that are all prisoners and in many cases multiple prisoners to one thing or another. And this RV is the first example of Mm -hmm. the first prison. Yep. So Paul Dano, who we've yet to meet, we assume is the inhabitant of this RV. It's just a sketch RV too. Right. That alone, it looks like a mobile cell. Yeah. Very few windows. Mm -hmm. It's secluded. It has that air of clandestine yeah. or macabre to it. And we get, it almost feels like when the, as they're walking to from um, the uh, Birch's house back to the, the Dover's house or to the park, yeah. the kids start playing on that RV. Yeah. And they, the older siblings pull them off. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like that moment in a horror movie is like, that house is haunted. Yeah. Don't go. The anywhere. Myers house. Okay, right. There well you said. Go. There you go. It has. It's a strange way to do that yeah. with an RV. And then you get that shot, which also, hearkening back to the Myers reference mm-hmm. with Halloween, is the POV from someone who's in the RV mm-hmm. looking through the window. Well, we get a lot of that in this film, looking through reflection or glass yeah. into boxes of sorts. As we see them walk away, and we have already sort of primed the audience for something's a little bit off. This isn't just normal RV with taking up space on the street it's yeah. something's off here the, the first thing i also have to mention too before we kind of get into it the mvp also for this film for me is the camera work and we mentioned this last week in kind of blow out and just how that's a very active passive uh camera in that film now we're working with an all-time great roger deakins who if you don't know him look up you'll know his films when they're shot he's the coen brothers frequent a cinematographer 1917 too right isn't that, he's Nin- oh, that? The, it's, it's supposed to be like one continuous take like right. that's so ambitious but it's just everything's got this the light the use of lighting in this film is and fog and you know condensation on windows uh 
makes it feel a little noirish. But like the, the, when they go into the daughter's room later, and she's got this real pink hues, like you get a lot of pinks and warm tones. And then you know when they're outside, not in the prisons, it's very cold. It's a very cold color temperature palette, and I think that's that's on purpose. Oh, sure, it's, yeah. it's set to earth tones to make it yeah feel heavier or give a level of morosity to the movie that mm-hmm. delivers. And then it's raining all the time and it's cold. <clears throat> and then you set it with fall. Yeah. And just the natural colors of fall. And you get a very earth-toned movie. Mm-hmm. And boy, that really is going to play out in the last 15 minutes, the importance of the earth, right? Oh, yeah. Right. I think that's good. So they're in full panic mode. that They can't find them. So it's immediately got to call the cops. Got to get someone in here to investigate. Yeah. We cut directly to Detective Loki, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. And I, I, we got to address this right now. Loki, this this is a weird name. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. I, I don't think uh, many. I don't think this like is a last name. I've never met anyone or even heard this reference, especially spelled that way. Yeah, L O K K E. It's Loki, it's the god Loki. of mischief. Yeah. Right. I have a theory about this. Roll with me for a second on think, this okay. on this mat. So it's mentioned in very brief passing that Jake Gyllenhaal's character is an orphan. He's uh, kind of lived in boys' homes. Now, I don't know, like, at what stage, if he wasn't given, like, an actual kind of naming rights, I almost feel like he gave himself the last name Loki. Well, like, in the, boy, in the boys' home, just reading through Journey into Mystery, uh, reading Thor comics. I think this is a self-picked name. Only because I can't imagine this being real. You know what I mean? Sure. And if he doesn't have, you know, the, the, the parental thing, which is interesting because I feel that sometimes he has a hard time relating to the parents' grief that they're going through because he never had that growing up, which is an interesting facet. Not, that's probably totally bullshit, but I was just like, maybe you're just a Thor comic book fan, which that's rare in and of itself. But <laughs> yes, like, it I was just like, interesting uh, thing. And then... He has an interesting tick. I don't know if you noticed. He's blinking. He blinks his way through the movie, and it's like I, I don't think Gyllenhaal has Tourette's of the eyelids, but this is interesting. And then the tattoos. And did you notice his Freemason ring? Yes, I did. Yeah, being one myself, I it, certainly did. This is interesting. I think this is another indication of the title of the film, Prisoners. Mm-hmm. Is I think Loki, Detective Loki. Yeah, we see him pretty early on, captive of his own prison. Mm-hmm. If you look at that guy and with the name that you so eloquently just <laughs> described right there, and I love that theory. Let's go with it. Why sure, not? Sure. It's going to play into what I'm saying, so this is self-serving, so I agree with you totally. Sure. Um, he's a guy that's on the edge. Yeah. From his hair to the tattoos to the sort of quiet way that he sort of stalks about. And I think... Almost tweaking, but not quite. Like, right. Yeah. yeah very, yes. Yeah. I think his prison is... The expectations of working for the police force and what that's limiting him to do insofar as what his true nature is. Mm. I don't think he's he's a good guy in this Mm -hmm. movie, but there's a couple moments in that film where we see him kind of go off the rails. Mm -hmm. And it's not uncommon in movies for the detective to sort of push the boundaries of right and wrong. And I'm like, that's but there's an era to which he does them in this film that is a little bit beyond movie necessary conflict to a larger river that's going through him of conflict that's smashed and constrained and in a prison of like this professional job that he has that he can't quite escape. 
and he's pretty tortured. Yeah. And that that word's also really important in this movie. Oh, definitely. Because aren't isn't everyone? Yes. So the, yes, I agree with everything you said there. Yeah. And we're getting an introduction into Loki and his prison. Like, I'm pretty sure he could catch this person like this. Yeah. If he could just kick off the expectation and the limits of the justice system and his shitty boss. Yeah. And go find him. And just do it. Do it his way. Because he seems pretty good at it. Yeah. And he is good at it because I think Maria Bello tells him later. This is the Dover wife. Your captain tells me that there's there hasn't been a case that you haven't solved like twenty seven or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, a big number. So that's pretty good. He's got a good record. Uh, yeah, so I think he is good at his job, and he could do it. But yeah, he's constrained within the confines of the justice system, right and wrong, Miranda rights, uh, right. and that's going to be the exact opposite of what Hugh Jackman is going to do as Keller Dover. <sighs> so let's kind of get right to it with you know the introduction of Paul Dano's character. Um, this is uh, Alex Jones. Who's this 25-year-old man, and this was the man in the RV. He's arrested because he tries to flee and crashes. But he's difficult to pinpoint, too, because, and we're going to find out why later, but he has a very obvious intellectual disability, a learning disability. So even if they try and go the, the route of lie detector tests or the, the process, again, the confines of the system, uh, it's not going to work on him because... He just doesn't understand it. He has. They think they say the the like the mind of a ten year old. Yeah, lie detector won't worse won't work determining lies if someone doesn't understand the question before mm-hmm. they answer it. So again, here's the system that's in place that now has created a prison that they can't get out of for. Yeah. And yeah. I think this is also one of the cruxes of this movie for what seems to be yeah. a regulate a regulation or a regulating body that protects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in this protection, mm-hmm. we're moving to a place where everything is completely screwed up. And it does argue, well, should we just have, you know, complete free market freedom, uh, complete liberty? And the answer that's also no. So it poses an interesting question. Yeah. How much are you willing to get in the prison for the safety of everybody? Are we playing out Hobbs and Locke here? Maybe a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, and then also what what's pretty fascinating is, you know, his mother, too, or his, yeah, it's... it's She's called his mother right away, Melissa Leo, right? Yeah. Who's very protective of of, of, of the son as well. This is all going to kind of come to fruition later. Now, this is where I want to talk about how I, like I, I did some research on kind of the genesis of this film. So uh, this film was written by Alex. Uh, see if you can find his last name. It's Wazabowski or Gordonowski. Okay. Spec screenplay, Matt, as we've talked about on this screenplay. Aaron uh, Guzikowski. Aaron Guzikowski. There you go. As we've talked about on the podcast before about, you know, when you write on speculation, you're not writing off of an IP, intellectual property of like a book, a comic book, a, a video game, a sequel. You're, it's an original idea formed in screenplay. Right. So this is one. And this is hard to do. So his screenplay was actually featured on. So there's something in Hollywood called The Blacklist. It's a contest they do every year of the best unproduced screenplays. His was actually featured in 2009. Oh my goodness, So really? this is 2013, 2012, and it moves around Hollywood, not really generating a lot of buzz until like Mark Wahlberg kind of gets his hands on it, and it becomes eventually a vehicle that he that they're going to do with him and Christian Bale in the roles of Do- uh, Dover and Loki. They That eventually falls through, They and they, the, they go on to do the fighter together, the two of them, with mm-hmm. Melissa Leo as that? well. Mm-hmm. 
but Mark Wahlberg liked the idea so much that he helped kind of push it through Hollywood. He has a producer credit on this film. So that kind of got the, the ground running. And then I'm just fascinated, too, because then they go with essentially an unknown Ameri- uh, director, Denis Villeneuve, this fr- French-Canadian, who, Matt, after I see a film like this and it strikes me as it does, I have to see who made this. Yeah. Because there's such a tone, I see a, like a total vision while this film's being made. Yeah, and it's essentially a lot of like uh, like these 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 kind of Canadian, you know, French films, and, and some of them are okay. But then it instantly piques my interest in him. So then I want to follow his career going forward. And his follow up to this is Sicario, mm-hmm. which is something that just totally also blew me away. And it's it's just interesting how this all it, it just all generates from this film. You know what I mean? This I sleepy film that not many people went to see. You had to tell me to go see it, and now it's kind of just taking on a life of its own. Like yeah. it's very fascinating. Yeah, agreed. Did, did you give him a lie detector? You gave us a lie. Detector. Did you give him one, sir? I understand what you're asking me. Yes, we did. We yeah. gave him a lie detector, and there's no way of <sighs> a lie detector doesn't work if you don't understand the questions. Well, maybe he wasn't on his own. How could he drive an RV if he has an IQ of a 10-year-old? Hey, we're considering all possibilities. I don't think you are considering all possibilities. I I hear hear what you're saying, sir. No, listen to me. Just shut the fuck up for a fucking second. This is what I'm going to need you to do for me. I need you to calm down. So Detective Loki starts doing his investigations. Uh, The first kind of natural lead is to kind of, well, you might, might want to investigate any sex offenders in the kind of vicinity so he's kind of beating down the bushes kind of looking at them until he gets to one this former priest again this this religious element at, at play here and it this is this is a little interesting maybe maybe help walk walk me through this matter of you know he's drunk on the floor and then we kind of see you know, like his fridge is hiding something it's like kind of off the tracks and it's essentially another a basement that has this body in there and it's this it's this unidentified man kind of all bound up uh and we try to find out like kind of like who this is and what's going on and it's a it's a child killer is what it is right yeah so in the pursuits from detective loki to try to determine who knows where the kids are who has abducted the kids one of the things that takes him down the path is three people in a nine mile radius that have uh pedophilia issues or have had issues in that regard with children Mm -hmm. so that leads him to this priest's house yeah and then we pull back this refrigerator open up the trap door side door go in and downstairs is like this decomposed body Mm -hmm. it almost looks mummified it's so decomposed been there for a while kind of tied up in this chair and we're starting to recognize man there are prisons everywhere here's this priest who's imprisoned by his own his own sins whether that be the bottle or children himself Mm -hmm. and then this lie that he's having to keep with this hidden body downstairs and then uh, totally on the nose the prison itself that that guy was encapsulated in before he died yep and now what does loki do with that information Mm -hmm. in a weird way the prison of getting no more answers yeah as he continues to sort of delve into who has the children and where did they go I feel like the story for him gets worse. Yeah. This isn't just, I'm going to find these kids, I'm going to rescue these kids, and then I'm going to move on to the next case. And and to me, that's where kind of this kind of maze-like imagery comes into play because when you're in a maze or a labyrinth, you hit dead ends and you have to backtrack. 
Man, detective work is totally that. The good news for you and me in the labyrinth would be as long as the Minotaur is not behind us when we hit the dead end, we just turn around and go backwards. Mm-hmm. I think the bad news for Loki yeah. is every dead end <clears throat> is five or six more problems that now he has to tackle. Yeah. He's just getting deeper and deeper caught in the maze, the labyrinth of the system mm-hmm. that he can't get out of. Yeah. And I really want to come back to that with the very end of this film because I think it sure. presents a really tough question for him yeah. uh, that we'll, I'm sure we'll break down. But, okay, so we find this dead body in this priest's basement. Mm-hmm. And what actually, what effect does it actually have on finding the kids? Yeah, not nothing now. None, really. Uh, later, though, right? yeah, through a fit of rage, which I want to mention a little bit later. Okay. But, yeah, right now it's, it's, it's a blocked wall. We have to backtrack. We have to take this at a different avenue. Which is this Alex Jones bit, which they're going to release him from from jail, and man, Hugh Hugh Jackman is just like not having it. He's pleading with Loki. Yeah, don't let this guy out. He's going to do it again, and he actually wins over Loki. Mm-hmm. And Loki goes to his police chief and says, "Can't we keep this guy?" And he says, "We can't keep this. There are laws. There are conventions. There are norms. Yeah, you can't do this this way anymore." Mm-hmm. Um, and we're seeing now they're all prisoners of the system. Yeah. Like, they're stuck. Yeah. Obviously, this... And, like, well, maybe we feel a little bit of remorse for Paul Dano at this point. Yeah. But that's going to change pretty quickly, isn't it? Yeah. Because after he gets released, Hugh Jackman begins stalking him. Mm-hmm. And we see him waiting outside Alex Jones's house one night when mm-hmm. Alex takes his dog for a walk. Yeah. And well, in well, one of... R- real quick, and I want you to come back okay, right okay, to this, because okay. that's 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 rough. Yeah. Uh, he tells Hugh Jackman when he, oh, yeah. like, assaults him in the, in the parking lot, he's like, they weren't... They weren't scared until I left them. So it's just like this colonel, just like, what did you say? What did you say? So to an extent, Alex is also telling the truth because we find out he's not the real monster of this machine at the end of the day. But it's just a, a little colonel that just lights that fire underneath Hugh Jackman. It's just like, this motherfucker, I know he knows something. I'm going to get it out of him. And we go right to this. So Matt mentioned what, what I just cut you off on. So he's stationed outside Alex Jones's house in his truck, uh, Dover. Mm-hmm. And he sees Alex Jones come out ready to take his dog for a walk. Yeah. And he picks the leash up. And essentially starts strangling the dog and as it's just dangling in the air looking at it in a very interesting way insofar as that's not normal behavior. Oh, and yeah. now the seed's planted in us, so now we're becoming a little bit of prisoners. You're like, yeah, go get that guy. He says what he said to him when he's released from the from jail mm-hmm. and Hugh Jackman attacks him in the parking lot. They didn't cry till I said that whatever the hell that line was. Yeah. And then we see this bit. And we're kind of siding with Dover at this point. Like, yeah, that fucker. He knows something. Go get him. Yeah. Boy, does he. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he gets him. And then, so Hugh Jackman, his father left him this property. almost like this like little apartment building, uh, which is abandoned, needs to be renovated. And the, the, this is where gonna, they're going to set up the new prison. So he brings Terrence Howard over and... Again, this is where the morality comes into. What would you do in this circumstance if you were in those character shoes? Would you be like, we need like time, especially in a kidnapping where like, you know, the longer it gestates and waits, like is is time lost. It's they're either dead, the trails are going cold, like you have to act fast. And then there's the Terrence Howard side are like, we can't do this. You just kidnapped a man. And now you're, you want to, like, essentially assault him to the brink of near death? Like, 
yeah, this is some gray area we're playing with, and it's going to be in the confines of this. Like, he could have used this whole apartment. It's this tiny little room here. This bathroom is what it is. And, yeah, it starts out, it's, it's, it's fairly rough. It's just, again, just kind of beating information out of Alex that he doesn't, he can't further communicate to, to these individuals. So the on-the-nose breakdown of this is now he's a prisoner, literally chained to the sink. Mm -hmm. But then you start to realize that Alex is also imprisoned Mm -hmm. by his lack of mental awareness or capability. Yep. Even if he did do it, which we're going to find out later, as you said, he actually isn't the one that really did it. Yeah. I don't know if he would be able to articulate it because of his limited mental capacities. So we get another example of being a prisoner. And then here's the one that also comes into place this time. And I love what you said earlier with the references to the cross that continually pops out of Hugh Jackman's shirt mm-hmm. and like as a, a religious man who prays a couple times in the film. Yeah. We know why he's doing this. Yeah. And there's a really important line that maybe I should say this before I say the other that Maria Bello lays at his feet. Mm-hmm that I think creates another prison for Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Okay, so after the kids have gone missing, Maria Bello's coping strategy is addiction, pills. Yeah. Her prison. She becomes addicted. In in bed, yeah. So now she's a prisoner of another entity. Mm -hmm. And in her semi-lucid state, she tells him, I'm so mad at you. You made us think that we were safe. Yes. And now we're not. So now she's imprisoned him in the duty of what he thinks fatherhood is. Mm -hmm. Fuck, dude, that's heavy because where do you go? Like, she's not only is she calling out your, not your manhood, but your masculinity. No, I know what you mean. But with the heaviest stakes that there is, the protection of your family. Yes. So now he goes into hyperdrive and he's imprisoned by that words and the domestic role that he plays. Yeah. And as he eloquently at the same time repeatedly kind of says, like, uh, uh, our father or like like some version of a different prayer in this room while he's got it. Alex chained to, to the thing here. So then you think, I think, you know, religion's really blurring the lines here as well. It's kind of the hypocrisy that, you know, religion can sometimes, you know, play in circumstances like this. If Dover is truly a man of God, he would never go this route. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And I, again, I, I don't begrudge anyone who's a hunter at all. You yeah, do yeah. what you want. But yeah. to say a prayer... Before you blast one of God's creatures. And again, they, they do eat it, so they don't just shoot it for fun. Oh, yeah. But there's a sport to that. Yeah. We see the the complexity of expectation, which is a prison, again, in his character of the whole film. So now he's got this, this mental capacity of a 10-year-old retarded. And I mean, I'm not meaning that in a derogatory way. Like this mm-hmm. retarded fellow here. Mm-hmm. And he's torturing him, essentially, even if it's not of like fist to face yet. Yeah. It's not going to be far away yeah. from that. With his cross on. Yes. Yeah. Because he's trying to find his family and he has no other outs. And here's the other thing, too, that's another prison mm-hmm. because he's having to wait on the fucking system yep. to check the boxes on the paperwork yeah. so that Loki can do what he needs to do. It's essentially a lose, lose, lose situation. All the while knowing, and I think this is real interesting, too, that when we get past the seventh day, think about that in context yep. of religious yep. overtones. Exactly. After seven days, the chances of finding the abducted child decrease pretty dramatically. And on the seventh day, he rested. On the seventh day here, you're not resting. There's a context to that as well also. Where do you go? Yeah. 
I, I guess he's all in. Yeah. And might as well, if you're going to go there, you might as well go. And I guess he does. And he does. And it's, it's, it's shocking. It's just like, I love Hugh in these scenes, not for like his action, because it's very brutal. It's kind of hard to watch at, at points. Yeah, he just but beats the hell out of him. He's got such a ferocity in this scene, and you feel the father's plight of wanting to find the daughter, but at the same time, you're like, man, he's just beating the shit out of this kid, and this kid can't communicate anything to him. Like, we're, we're just so fucked at this point. This is a smart screenplay that we've kind of got to this stage here, and now we're going to like plant more seedlings to kind of just further pollinate this greatness. So... Naturally, during these kind of, you know, scenarios, you know, they have vigils, these watch vigils. So they have one of these in front of the, the Birch House. Yeah. Now, actually, one of the things, too, and like and either like, you know, serial killers or kidnappings, you know, uh, it has been stated at times that the perpetrator likes to return to the scene of the crime. And so Detective Loki perched himself here because he's like, this fucker is probably going to show up in some capacity. And he catches this real sketch guy, um, who we're gonna we're gonna find out later. Uh, yeah, Bob Taylor, David Domestikalt. I can't even say this. You all know who this guy is. You'll recognize him the minute you see him. I remember him from The Dark Knight. He was he was the guy um, in the in the ambulance that Harvey Dent was interrogating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dust Malshian. Yeah, there you go. There David you go. Dust Malshian. That's right. Okay. And and but again, to not further his cause. He takes off like running like someone who might have guilt or something. And again, this is going to pay off later, but it kind of leads to nowhere. But we've been getting tips alongside at like some local knockoff Kmart. God, you remember Kmart? Mm-hmm. Kmart always just like felt sketchy. Oh, <laughs> but this place has that where the, this person's been buying children's clothes and stuff and doing weird shit. So... We're just like, what the hell's going on here? Like, there's a lot of weird things happening. All the while, Dover and Terrence Howard, and then they wrote Viola Davis into it. And I think that's the most shocking to me because Terrence Howard is very passive with the violence and doesn't look like an active participant other than, like, holding him down for Hugh Jackman to just wail on him. But, man, Viola Davis comes in here and is shocked by the violence, but then's like, he knows something. And she gets in on it, too. Like, it's like... We're getting into some deep territory. And so as a viewer, I'm wondering, what's the end game? Even if he does tell you, how do you explain this? Get out of this. There's no getting out of this. Well, short of making the fateful decision that he dies. Mm -hmm. And then they've created another prison now, which is the prison of secrecy. Yes. We can't talk about this. Mm -hmm. And the only way a secret stays a secret between two people or three people is if one or two of them is dead. Yep. So, again, that's not to mean that one of them is going to die. I'm not, that's not what I'm, I'm precluding to here. There's no way that stays a secret. Oh, yeah. And then even if you can, okay, let's just say morally that somehow they can. How do you live with it? You got your daughter back, but you killed this other guy in this abandoned building. Yeah, there's there's a lot of... To me, this is the, the mark of a smart film when I'm like really thinking a lot about either the morals of the characters or placing myself in the scenario, which is something I can't do a lot. I can't place myself in Avengers Endgame because I'm not one of those characters. But these are real people and these are real things that happen in the world, kidnapping and these Torture cases. And yes. yes. So you kind of kind of put yourself there and you're like, Jesus Christ, like this is this is real sticky ground to be in. Like I found myself going through this little gamut of emotions and that's once Paul Dano's character starts to be tortured, Alex Jones starts to be beaten, and then he's locked in a little 
wooden uh, it's box. The, it's the shower boarded, yeah, boarded up. And then frozen and scalded with the water. And then is the movie, like I'm pulling for him, like, oh my God, I feel so terrible for this guy. Yeah. And then as the movie progresses and the violence increases and the likelihood that Alex Jones wasn't involved, which they do in really smart incremental mm-hmm. moments, I find myself starting to pull for some negative trait to happen in Alex Jones's character yeah. so that it justifies these actions because I'm where you are. Yeah. Man, not only how are you getting out of that if he's guilty. Yeah. But then what if he wasn't, mm-hmm. which he's not? Yeah. And that element doesn't come, that oh, that piece to, to, to say something that he so is. So I'm finding myself like, please give me something that makes Alex Jones worthy of the, which no one is. Obviously no one is. But trying to rationalize the the impact of that violence and what's going on. And in a Hitchcockian way, you arm the audience with a little bit more information than the characters on the screen. Mm-hmm. And you create that fourth wall of conflict that we wish we could jump to the screen and say, "Time out, everybody! Here's what is happening." Yeah, but that's can't. good. That's good storytelling, is is what it is, right? All the while, as kind of going out at the same time, Detective Loki's. Yeah, he's just he's still going through this maze with this this Bob Taylor character, trying to track him down, trying to track him down. Eventually, tracking down his license plate to this residence and. You know, he's acting all sketchy, and then there's kind of a fisticuffs of swords, and then this kind of nightmarish kind of scenario of these just like boxes. So you detective walk into a residence, there's flies and pig's heads in the sink. It's, it's, we're already screwed. I'm already thinking like Jesus is like Dahmer or Gacy. It's like this is mess. Some pagan sacrificial ritual. And then he walks into a room with like eight like cargo boxes, like 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 that you'd put like camera equipment in yeah you're just like shit there's bodies in there there's something in there they're all locked up he beats them open and um there's just clothing in there but bloodied clothing and snakes Snakes. yeah so there's just like like if you want the truth you got to go through like this like these potentially venomous you know reptiles the heavy allegory, the religious element at this point, from the cross on his neck to the pig's head. Ooh, to I didn't the even snakes, consider the snakes. All, Shit. All of that now, you're like, oh my gosh, now we are in that other non secular prison of of mythology or metaphor. And that stuff to me, and probably you too, because we were raised similarly religious. Yeah. That pagan shit, like that's that sets me on edge. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, well, hereditary that's, that's or seven in a nutshell Wicker Man or seven, seven deadly sins that, that works for me and so i'm thinking oh my god what the hell are we in the middle of now and then we start to uncover the element of mazes yeah you want to go ahead and run with that mazes and dead ends so this gentleman bob taylor is has like mazes like drawn all over his his wallpaper and the, the, the seemingly going nowhere in pictures and books like complete the maze type type of scenarios essentially this is another dead end of swords this character has been breaking into the family's houses and stealing articles of clothing to plant this idea of abduction and murder and it isn't nowhere but as we find out this individual also too was abducted was he not yes yeah, so strange yeah um by a religious abducted for religious means mm-hmm. we get to that with the melissa leo character here in a few minutes from mm-hmm. her husband that's so strange to me. The and it's set up. Yeah. So we see when the kind of earlier in the film when 
this quest for the children is in full effect. Yeah. Both of the two houses mm-hmm. are visited by a hooded stranger in the middle of the night. Who Actually, you're thinking, oh, my God, this guy's coming in to cut or shoot. or And comes in and leaves with as little a footprint as possible. And we're like, well, that was weird. Like, did he just come in? Did he just want to peep this kid in the bathtub? Or what was that all about? But does leave footprints. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well said. Does leave footprints. And the whole point that he breaks into the house is for the simple fact of he's trying to steal more children's clothing yeah. to set up a false maze or web of intrigue yeah. that doesn't really lead to anything except these <clears throat> baskets full of bloodied clothes and snakes. Yeah. It's so like... Like a severe case he's of He's obviously like, fucking crazy. It's Stockholm Syndrome. Like he's yes. been fucked in the head because he's, as we find out, drank too much of this like... Oh. Grape soda. Purple con- drink. Con- con- purple drink. Yeah. That's what it is. Uh, yeah, it's exactly what it is. So like, he's even mm-hmm. more unstable than Alex is. And it essentially ends in this crazy scene. He just kills himself in the interrogation room. So, again, oh. suicide is by far, like, the most dead end of dead ends because we can't even talk to the person that has the information anymore. And that didn't even really uncover what Loki's goal was, was to kind of rough this dude up enough so that he will spill the beans on about where... The kids are, and they do a really smart thing. Mm-hmm. One of the socks, or a pair of the socks that are stolen it's like from a, Dover's house. It's like a lion on a, it. A lion on mm-hmm. the, like the... Or it was a sun. Was it a sun? Whatever. Some, some image yeah. that's recognizable. We see uncovered in one of the boxes mm-hmm. when Loki kicks open the lid and the snakes fall out, and we've... We get the pictures of this, and then Hugh Jackman comes in, and he's like, oh, crap, that's my daughter's sock. If there was were spiders in those boxes, I'd have to call in, like, the SWAT team, like, to help me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then on top of it, we're thinking, oh, no, all of this, and we might be too late anyway, because yeah. there's this bloody sock. They're gone. That yeah. usually doesn't mean that she cut herself tripping on the curb. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we see Viola Davis and her family and yeah. Hugh Jackman, his family, sort of trying to kind of making their peace with that. Yeah. So what does Hugh Jackman Except- do? Acceptance. Kind of. That's There's nowhere else really to go. Yeah. Hugh Jackman goes home and almost kicks the shit out of his son. Yeah. And says, I need you to be strong because I'm going to bring your, your sister home because he still hasn't given up hope or faith. Mm-hmm. Interesting word there, right? Faith. Mm-hmm. Because that's all he has left to hang on to. Mm-hmm. Now he's... Moved out of this prison into like his seventh prison, which is the prison of probably un, in most real life unactualized or unrealized hope. Yeah, the chances of that kid being still alive mm-hmm. with all that evidence in the real world, yeah, is like less than none. Yeah, less than none. So three things I want to talk about. I don't know the order to talk about, so I'm just going to go at it. Okay. So we find out that oh no. So first, so Jake Gyllenhaal. So if you ever want this, there's a moral in this film actually. If you ever like don't are, torture people. Yeah, don't torture. Yeah, that. So there's two morals in the film. If you're ever stuck on something, a problem, an equation, homework, whatever, <laughs> something in life just backs you into a corner, you just gotta smash it. Smash your computer. Smash your whatever. Because amongst the wreckage, the answer will come to fruition. Oh. This is so. This is kind of stupid, but like this happens. He Jake Gyllenhaal has a tamper a t- tantrum, destroys his office setup. And then amongst the wreckage, he kind of really hones in on, so we really set up mazes now. And the body in the basement of the priest's home has this maze medallion. Yeah. And he's like, well, look at, look at, look at that there. Mm-hmm. After that, we find out that 
the blood isn't in fact human blood it's the pig's blood again set up we saw the pig's head in the in the sink so you, you were just making whatever weird scenario and then there's mannequins weirdly buried in the in the grass yes. so like almost practicing yeah that's that's so weird it's, 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 but he's a, this is like this is such severe case of ptsd of what we found out that he what he really went through and then before that before we get into the like the final section of our film hugh jackman dover goes to visit melissa leo and almost a bout of penance of sorts to it's kind of what he says kind of like say like i was kind of the guy that like kind of roughed up your son sorry kicked the hell out of your kid in the a, parking lot i'm here to fix your door and make it better a little bit about that but thankfully that you know he he went there because one of the little girls is found the the birch's daughter terrence howard and viola davis and they're in the in the hospital trying to you know dispel you know any type of of truth and I, I love this. I love the I love the line. It's just enough for him and not for anyone else. Mm-hmm. When she just says, "You were there," and then and then I think the next line after that is, I think she, he says she put tape on her mouths or something because they heard him. Yeah, they heard him. They heard him down there. So you were there. So he's like, "Shit, well, which one? I was there." And she, it's that bitch's house. Like it's there. So he. <laughs> This is almost hilarious. I was just like hearkening back to last week and blow out. Hugh Jackman hopping curbs in his truck like John Travolta, like it's nobody's business. Yeah. Man, when you're like in the 11th hour of a chase and you just got to do it, man, just hop that curb. <laughs> Smash it. Hope you have like a truck or a Jeep because you just fuck up your car. Yeah. Man, he just, he just hops that curb and he's just out. And so then Jake Gyllenhaal, and we left out this scene, he goes to this apartment building, almost catches Jackman torturing and then brilliantly acting his drunken self on the floor, and he's able to kind of get out of that. Mm-hmm. So in between all that, we've realized, well, Jackman just sped off here in a bout of fury. I know where he's going. He's going to that apartment building. That's not where he was going. So it leaves him alone, and he hears the sounds of Alex kind of yammering <sighs> from upstairs. So they found him and rescued him. So there's that whole thing to deal with. But now we know who the true culprit of this scenario is. Mm-hmm. It's Melissa Leo um, here uh, just kind of abducting kids. Uh, it's really fucked up. And so so then, uh, then I'm a little questioned here at the end. So Hugh Jackman kind of comes in, as you mentioned. I want to fix your door. I want to offer you know some forgiveness for you know doing that. He comes with this tool case. He's already gone so far off the deep end that like once they find Alex, he's going to get arrested. Like for sure. Sent to prison. Yeah. I don't know why at this point he just doesn't like walk in and just like take the hammer to Melissa Leo or whatever. And then because then he just turns his back to her and she just pulls the gun on him. And I'm just like, fuck. Like, yep. it's just one of those things. Like, if you could just jump through the screen, and just be like, don't do that character. Like, why is there restraint now? Yeah, exactly. Why now? Because he even says he turns his back and he was like, he's like, hey, I can make this easy on you. And he does that turn and gun in the face. Like, yep. just, you're screwed now. So at gunpoint, she basically kind of reveals all sins, and we understand that her and her husband have had this strange lifestyle. That's <laughs> lifestyle. I, I know what you would call it. This strange way of conducting their their personal lives, which is some bastardized version of religion that has to do with the abduction of children, and this <clears throat> has been their operating procedure for a number of years, at least twenty years, right? might be longer, a generation of yeah. abducting kids and just screwing them up yeah 
so she kind of bears all sins and then walks Keller Dover mm-hmm. into the backyard and tells him to get into a car. But he drank the purple drink too. Well, okay, so she she's drugged him mm-hmm. with purple drink. Yeah. I really it literally is purple drink. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's, it's so purple. like type of like memory erasing, just like purple Kool Aid. Drunken, yeah. No, I really think that's like, like literally what it is. And Jim Jones over here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> hide Jamarcus Russell. Yep. Anyway, um, that's pretty. Oh, that's funny. That's Pur- pretty funny, actually. Purple drink. There right? you go. All right, so. They uh, go out of the backyard, and she says, fire up the car, and he turns the car over and backs it up, and it reveals another trap door. Another prison. Right. Yeah. So she kicks him down into this pit mm-hmm. with his broken leg. I think well, he's been shot. He's been shot in the leg, and he probably broke it on yeah. the fall down. So he's basically in there in a purple drink-induced state of coherence with a broken leg. Bleeding. Knowing that... His daughter, it's curtains for her now because she can't let this get out. And yeah. she's told him, like, when your daughter's dead, I'm going to throw her down there so you guys can spend this time together. Mm-hmm. He can't do a damn thing about it. Yeah. The worst prison of all. But you kind of have to sort of say, yeah, man, it sucks to be incapacitated and imprisoned, which is sort of what he's done to Alex Jones. Yep. Yep. So you're kind of making <clears throat> your way, reckoning what's good and bad in that. And it's hard to be super sympathetic because. Keller Dover, who was the protagonist, has turned into such a raging asshole at this point for good causes. Yeah. You're in, like, why well, don't I say you? I'm in my own prison because I'm, I'm so, I, don't, I don't want him to die. I don't know how to define his character. I'm like, super sympathetic to him. Yeah. Though. I'm like, I like, like, I get it. Like, I totally get oh, it. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. need, I need to find my kid. Yeah. But then I'm like, fuck, I don't get it either because, like, you're like, you're just as bad as, like, you're doing the same thing. Right. Like, right. But what's down there, Matt? Bunch of bodies mm-hmm. and a whistle. That's been set up earlier. This is the daughter's. This is like the evidence that's been taken by 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 the children. It's been just been dumped into this like like landfill hole. Like so, we come back to when the two young girls left Thanksgiving dinner to go back to Keller Dover's <clears throat> house <clears throat> to search for the whistle. I guess they actually found it. Yeah, and while. Keller Dover's daughter had the whistle and was thrown in the same pit that he's in now. Mm-hmm. Either she lost it in there or Melissa Leo's character threw it in there. Threw it in there. Yeah. So it just so happens and he picks up the whistle and it's even more of a stamp on what's the end of a terrible, terrible week. <laughs> right? <laughs> the worst week ever. <laughs> ever. Yeah. That, oh God, well, she found the whistle. Now it's going to pay off maybe in a minute. Yeah. Maybe not. We can sort of <laughs> sure. forecast where that goes at the end. But it's another, like, just shot to him yeah, and a reminder of how far this has gone. Now, here's a couple of things before we get into the just the finale here. The body in the basement, was that ever kind of determined who that was? Like, Yeah, it was another pedophile. Well, yeah, but was... Oh, who the... Like, no. Because that's Melissa Leo's husband. Right. Yeah, but that's never... We don't find that out, right? We don't find that so out. So here's what I think happened. I think there's a missing scene in this film, actually. And I think it's the rescue of Alex from his prison kind of leading Detective Loki to this location. Because he, he rolls up like just a little bit later. Yeah. <clears throat> and he kind of going through the house and no one can be found. And it's when he finds that picture of, you know, the, the husband with the necklace. And so he's put two and two together. He's like, I think I'm in the right place. 
And man, it's curtains for the little girl because she's getting like doused up with some cyanide concoction. Like she's getting killed here with a poison injection. And shoot, shoot, bang, bang, kills Melissa Leo. But after taking one in the face himself, like a side swipe to the eye. Shit. Yep. But now it's a race against the clock. I, I, so I, I, I really like this scene. Maybe just because you know, I, was, I was driving in very snowy weather on Thursday, and it was like it's the worst type of driving. Oh, like yeah. I'd rather just like. I hate it. And so he's got this oncoming, like, snowy, flurry weather with limited eyesight, being blinded by your police siren through traffic. I think it's just, again, Deacons and Villanueva are just so expertly shot. that This scene could be so herky-jerky and Michael bay and it's just handled with such grace. It's this race against the clock, and I think it's handled very well. Well, because I think he's losing consciousness at the same time. Mm-hmm. You can see, like, the vision's getting bad. He's losing a lot of blood, and the roads are wet, and the oncoming lights from the cars around him, you can't tell who's coming or going, and he can't even read the street signs anymore. And he's barreling down I-40, whatever the hell it is, to get to the hospital to save this little girl who is, as we're speaking, perspiring in the backseat. Yeah, dying. And he's the last hope. So... By the grace of God, I mean that. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be cute or yeah. punny or coy. No, yeah. By the grace of God, he makes a left-hand turn at the right time and gets into the hospital, mm-hmm. carries the little girl in, and she's rescued. Mm-hmm. But now we have a big problem, don't we? Two weeks have gone by or something, we have and we f- haven't found dad. We have a few problems. So. Well, yeah, right. So, but we do a good job, too, of kind of tying up loose ends. So there's this... A missing boy case that's been... There's a lot to talk about in the film. We've kind of glossed over just some details. It's, it's a two-and-a-half-hour film. Yeah. Um, but this missing boy case, he was abducted when he was seven, never been found. We actually get to... See, he goes and Loki visits the mother. That's actually Alex Jones. That's yeah. He's been abducted for 20-plus years under the care of and drugging of Melissa Leo to live some, you know, just totally disabled life in like this brain of a, of an of a child really yeah finally reunited with with this okay, so there's like a whole thing there and i i wonder about a lot of that shit too in the real world of people that are abducted that you know go back home what that's or like? go back home and just like how do you have a normal life after like going through like the hell that you've gone through like that's tough like that's like that's that's some crazy shit so that's like a prisoners too i guess but whatever oh, or just another prison that he's now living sure in. yeah that's that's a very heavy for that family as well mm-hmm. but then we kind of get the little girl wants to come say thank you and the family's very gracious for detective loki's efforts and then we get the whistle that i i told her we'd buy her a new one but hers is lost and and, and everything but like so we're kind of indicating that that's not the original whistle they just bought it for her. Is it strange how when that little girl shows up in the wheelchair to say thank you for rescuing me and I appreciate you, <clears throat> mm-hmm. how steely Loki is? Yeah. He almost is unmoved by it. Yeah, yeah. After everything that this man has been through in this terrible condition and Alex Jones and all of this other stuff, this sweet little girl rolls into, rolls into his room in her wheelchair with mm-hmm. Maria Bello in tow mm-hmm. and says, I just, we wanted to come say thank you. And he doesn't bat an eye. Yeah. He just sits there like, literally, I think he's very stoically says, you're welcome. And I don't think this is bad acting because I no, think... No, 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 no. I think, I think, I, I think Gyllenhaal's also pretty on par with Hugh Jackman in this film. And I actually like their little sparring moments. So there's that one in the car and then in the, like the station. Yeah. 
but I think he's just so far removed from the familiar nuclear family dynamic because it's just something he never had. Yeah. I don't think he can accept, you know, that type of hierarchy. Sure. To him, it's just been I'm solo my entire life. The graciousness of a little girl coming in and saying thank you for saving me obviously has some sort of domestic feel to no, it. That would warm my heart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, especially after everything you'd been through. Mm-hmm been shot in the face and all of these other strange encounters and yeah. this dead body in the basement and pedophile priests and snake and battles all, snakes yeah and all this mazes and yep you you'd break down but he doesn't mm-hmm. he just sits there and i think it's something that I, I wanted to bring up earlier and i'm glad you got to this because it says jake gyllenhaal is such a good actor Mm-hmm. I don't actually like every film that he's done. I know you and I differ well, on Nightcrawler. Well, Mysterio was a misstep as well. But it wasn't a misstep because he was a bad actor. No, I know. I, th- I think he's. I think he's. He's. I mean this in good. all due respect. Yeah. I really do think that Jake Gyllenhaal is a working man's Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Like he's, Joaquin. He's Phoenix, a normal Joaquin Phoenix. Right. Joaquin Phoenix gets the glory of like the Joker, and he is all of the weirdness that sort of goes along with his persona. Yes. Including talent. Yeah, yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal is all of that talent without the weirdness. Yes. Oh, that's good. But, he, man, that I don't know a role mm-hmm. that he couldn't play. Mm-hmm. He's funny. Yeah. You seen? Have you ever seen Love and Other Drugs? Yeah, that's good. That's, a, I, mm-hmm. I think, a, a great movie that no one mm-hmm. liked except maybe you and me. Yeah. You're the only person I've ever met that likes that movie. Yeah, no, that, that's a good one. His his filmography. What about Brother? Have you ever seen Brothers with him and Tobey Maguire? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Jarhead, like Jarhead. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't care for Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, because it, it wasn't a movie that was entertaining to me. And hey, just, you didn't like Nightcrawler, but like, but it, it wasn't because he wasn't good in it. No, his transformation in Nightcrawler is like remarkable. Yeah, and then we can go back to this is the you know on the nose Fight Club breakdown of his like Donnie Darko. Yeah, right. Like, mm-hmm. um, like what does that have to do with Donnie with, with Fight Club? Like, I think those both those movies are wildly overrated. But that's another podcast. But <laughs> I think those two films are so, yeah, sure. so hugely overrated. That's the overrated podcast. Oh, fuck. Can, I th- can I throw Napoleon Dynamite in there? Okay, go for it. <laughs> yeah, you go can. Ahead. Cool. He's man. He's good. Yeah. He can. What? Can, what can't What's he play? The boxing when he did str- uh, stronger. Oh uh, no, the one where he played yeah. Salpa. Amazing. Yeah, that's a good. One. That movie's fucking awesome. Yes. Yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal is a to Jake Gyllenhaal, yeah. man. Yeah. God bless you, dude. Thank yeah. you. And Hugh Jackman. Like, okay, I, I, double. I, 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 I appreciate both these actors in, in these because, like, you – and this is kind of the passion of acting as well. You, you're doing a spec idea. You know it's going to be a smaller film. This is, I think, what separates the actors from the actors. I did that in quotes. Yeah. To me, they're they're in it because they're in it for the story. They're in it for the challenge. They're in it for man. Maybe like I don't know, ten people will see this, but I'm really behind it. Like I really want to do that. That's these two men right now in this film. We have that list in the back of our minds of movies we'd like to see someday, and mine always tends to gravitate toward film noir. It's yeah, pretty ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But the one I want to see mm-hmm. is a William H Macy and Jake Gyllenhaal caper scandal crime. Like con with con William movie. H Macy, interesting as dad and and son, but maybe not. Oh, that's pretty good. So Matchstick Men esque, but with William H Macy Ooh. and Jake Jake Gyllenhaal. Don't yeah. you want to see that movie? I did. I, I would. That's that, that's an odd combo too. That would oddly work on screen. Yeah. So here, I think yeah, it's just it's he's just so far removed from this yeah family dynamic that this is the only reaction he can have to it. But let's get to our last scene because it's pretty loaded. <laughs> 
So the the feds have shown up and they're raiding the compound and they're uncovering this and that. And after the shootout and the abduction of the children, of course, there's going to be plenty of investigative procedures. And we see people looking in the earth and digging and just the general prison of the system still slowly at work. Yeah. And he's there not even overseeing it. I think he's just onlooker at this point. I'm pretty sure he doesn't have Mm -hmm. sovereign you know, status over how that breakdown is going to go. But they kind of wrap for the night. It's getting dark. It's getting cold. And they all go home. And we hear... Faint. Very faint. Yeah. And you kind of see him look over like, oh, that was weird. And then you can tell he's like maybe five seconds away from maybe just hoofing it to his car. and and He's about to turn around and go. And then, yeah. And then we get... And then double take. Looks again. And then I think we get one more. One more, yeah. And you can see he's about to like step to wherever that's, which is obviously Hugh Jackman in the hole blowing the whistle. Yes. And then we fade out. I love it. Me it's, too. This, to me, this is Inception, Whiplash. This is why I like film endings like this, because it leaves so much left untold that I don't need told to myself. I well, get, he's obviously going to go to the hole and get him. He's going to go to the hole get him. And the gonna, bigger question is, and then what? Yeah, like, I, oh, obviously he's going to be arrested. But Loki Loki has enough yeah. of an edge to him yeah. that I don't... It's not out of the realm of the possibility that he looks at Hugh Jackman and goes... I'm going to leave you there. Fuck, man. Okay. Yeah, and that's good. I'm going to leave you there because you're a piece of shit. Or I kind of get why you did this and this chick was terrible. Yeah. And look, it's just you and me. Um, mm-hmm. maybe I'm gonna look the other way. God, I, isn't that's that, not out of the realm of possibility here either? Isn't that a testament to like just a great, well written and directed, especially directed ending? Like to decide to end there. Yeah. Because obviously we could go on and rescue him and have this another scene of like the families reuniting and just making me vomit all over the theater. Uh, but we don't. And like I, I love that gray area. And I know a ton of people that hate this. They yeah. hate endings like because they need everything tied up and bowed. They need to know all the answers. But for us, we've seen thousands of films in our lifetimes. To me, these are the endings that just like totally ring home to me. Like I need more endings like this, actually. <laughs> How many days do you think it's been since Hugh Jackman was put in the hole and Loki gets there in that investigative process? I don't know, process? maybe two or three. I th- it hasn't been like two weeks. That's a, that's a long. He'd be dead. So the question then, though, is in what state is he? Like Dane oh, he, Green's probably said He's in. weak. Yeah, he's probably going to lose his leg maybe. So, and but, for a guy that's like the lumberjack carpenter type guy that Hugh Jackman is that's barely making it. And he kind of says that early in the film, like I don't have enough money to buy you a car, son, so don't even ask. Yeah. What does that leave him with? If he's even left with that option, because mm-hmm. per the rules, yeah. he should go to jail and go to like a real prison. Yeah. There's, well, he would have to. There's no way in this movie, if yeah. there's another scene though, that's how Villain Wave and that writer would let this thing in. No, there's no, no way it's, it's on the nose is. The good guy goes to jail, fade out. No way. Oh, this is perfect. This is it's literally a perfect ending. Yeah. It's like you as a, a comedian, you're telling your best joke and you're getting the hell out of there. Don't like stick around for applause or to tell another one and then bomb. Mic drop. Mic drop. Exit stage get, left. Get, whistle blow. Exit stage get fade out. out. Now, yes, I, I love this. I love the restraint in, in the ending. And then just kind of one other thing I, I wanted to say about yeah, there's there's so much left to be told about this, and that's that's for prisoners too. And I swear to God, if they ever make prisoners too with none of these uh, people involved, I'll stop watching movies. 
Don't, I'll, don't I'll, say that because I'm sure they've had the discussion. The good news, I guess, in that is this didn't make enough money for them to probably warrant prisoners to. Yeah. I guarantee you they talked about it. Yeah. It's just like the same thing, like also with Inception. Like you don't need sequels to to certain films. Like they're, they're such confined entities that I think we're okay with it. I agree. All right, let's get to it, Matt. Let's rate prisoners. We have Rock Gut, Well Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. I'll let you go first. Top Shelf. It's an almost perfect film. Mm-hmm. The one thing, and this is just very petty, that I would change if I could change anything is when Loki finds Alex Jones when he's screaming from. The shower. Mm-hmm. I wish he wasn't screaming, but I wish that somehow a whistle had been left behind and he's blowing the whistle. That's it. Yeah. There's not a bad moment. There's not a scene that I'm like, oh, if we can just get through this scene, then the rest of the movie's good. Mm-hmm. The performances are on lockdown. Oh, yeah. It's got, it's it's filled with a bunch of actors that I really, really like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Fincher-esque, so that's already a selling point for me. Okay, I'm glad you said that because, like, while I was watching this, I was like, "Well, Fincher was fucking around with Dragon Tat, and I like Dragon Tat too. That's okay. And Gone Girl and Benjamin Button, and like, really not making like like the set the Sevens and the Zodiacs and like the the shit he's good at. Yeah, this is like the fi- the film Fincher wish he would have made. Like, right. I bet he thinks that like deep down. The follow up to Seven that never was. It, it it has that feel of one of his films. It really does. Yeah, man, it's 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 an impeccable film. It's in my list of top of all time, not even the decade, like of all time. Mm. This is one of maybe not maybe not ten, but maybe fifteen best films I've ever seen. Um, yeah, it's it's a great movie. That's great. It's a top shelf top shelf rating for me as well. Uh, I'm gonna have a real problem with when we do our one shot of our top decade films because I have like twenty I need to pick from. And this one's also in consideration because yeah. it's just it's just one of those ones that snuck up on me, like sucker punched me, and I'm so glad that it did because I just I got to experience this, and it also introduced me to to Denny Villanueva, and I hope that that's how you pronounce his name. I don't even know if that's right. I think that is right because everything he's done past that, it's just been like yes, Cario's check. Arrival check, Blade Runner 2049 check. I am so excited for Dune, and that's such a heady sci-fi, and I'm not about that. If he can find a way to tap into that film and make like an epic sci-fi, good God, like yeah, yeah, like I'm I'm so on board with his filmmaking. And again, great performances. It's noirish at times. I like the mystery of it all. I like the twists along the way, and I love the ambiguity of the ending. I again. any film that we cover on Rice Smile and it has an ending like this that's just like ambiguous, I'll just define it as that. It's getting top shelf for me because yes. that's what I need in film. It's yeah. it's my favorite type of film ending and it just, I, I love it so much. People will groan in the theater. I bet when you probably saw this or the theaters across America when he's whistling and it cuts to black, I bet people were like, oh, or like, come on or something. But myself, I'm just like, Hell yeah. Like, yeah, that's that's a film right there. Agreed. Top shelf. Kids gone for more than a week. Have half as good a chance of being found. And after a month, almost none are not alive. All right? So forgive me for doing everything I can. No one. If, it hasn't been a fucking week. You're right. Day it hasn't fucking been a week. six. Day six. And every day, she's wondering why I'm not there to fucking rescue her. Right. Do you understand that? Right. Me. Not you. Not you. But me. Every day! So forgive me for not going home 
to have a good night's rest? And why did you look for my fucking daughter rather than fucking... Alrighty then, well let's wrap up this really great episode with a nightcap and kind of thinking about this ambiguous ending, but in terms, kind of a bleak ending. I know we rescued the girls, but the way things are left hanging for us, man, we're in some still, we're in some great territory. We're not, this isn't Walt Disney making the film and we get a happily ever after. There's just some real kind of grimness about the ending of Prisoners, so... Matt, what's what do you think is the best or even your favorite bleak film ending? I could say The Mist. We've already talked a lot about The Mist, so I purposely did not do The Mist. Uh, the Thing comes into consideration. I saved that because I thought maybe you might take a crack at it. Mm. So I'm going to go with Vertigo. Okay. That movie to me is uh, you know landmark all-time greats. That movie's titled Vertigo, Mm -hmm. and there's no way that that's what the movie is about Mm -hmm. until you get to the end and you go, huh, I guess he's over his Vertigo. Yeah. And it's at the expense of Kim Novak or Madeline Elster or Mm -hmm. whatever you want, whatever persona you want to give her and the couple that she plays in that film. Yeah. To watch Jimmy Stewart as the bad guy in that film. I love it. He's a fucker in that movie. I love it. Yeah, me too. Like... The guy who never turned down a role, like the Matt Damon of the forties through the thirties through the sixties, essentially, that was so happy-go-lucky and ransom stoddard and oh shucks, you can't say that about your friends, you know, like Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> Let me see if I can do my best, Jimmy Stewart. Merry Christmas, Mister Potter. <laughs> That's pretty good. Well, looks like we have a very interesting situation here. He's my second favorite actor of all time. Is I, he really? I, wow. I, I love the good-naturedness of Jimmy Who's number one? Fassbender. Kurt, Kurt Russell, of oh, course. Okay. Yeah. Right. But, and that's like a cult film type of thing. But Jimmy Stewart, to me, is just so fascinating because he, like you just said, took every film role, was good in it, complex in it. And then if you like kind of look into his personal history, there's like Tail Gunner in World War II killed like a ton of people. Stud. Really like bothered by it too and still just goes on. Absolute rock fucking star. Yeah. And then for him to be... I know you're a Cary Grant guy, but there, oh, no, no, no. No, there, there's a hard the, argument to, to, to make that like Jimmy Stewart's the greatest living film actor of all time. You just named number one and number two on my list. Mm-hmm. Clooney being three. Mm-hmm. And then we're getting into Clive Owen at number four. Just kidding. Not on my list. I just threw this at me. Don't, Jesse. That's my rocket actor list. Stop trying to set me on fire here. Hey, put the (laughs) knives away. Um, Yeah, man. Can can I back up a second? You mentioned (laughs) Clive Owen, and now I'm just, I'm just fucked now. (laughs) Okay, go. So American, so American Crime Story. It's the the American Horror Story spinoff where they did OJ, and I actually kind of liked when they did the OJ crime thing. Okay. And then they did the Versace one, which I didn't see. The next one they're doing is the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky. Clive Owen as fucking Bill Clinton. No uh, I'm not watching that at all. Like, to me, that's an interesting kind of, you know, the, the case to follow. Fucking Clive Owen. Anyway, continue, Matt. <laughs> do, you like, do you like Children of Men? I do, but that's that's more of an Al- Alfonso Cuaron thing and less him. Man, like, you put any other actor do in Do you not like role. Closer? No, I do not. Okay. We'll have to, like, maybe we talk about that a lot. I, like, offhandedly, I say it to get you fired up. <laughs> we'll have to do, like, a um, a shot maybe one day on, like, actors that you just absolutely cannot see. Just stand. can't, just can't do. Yeah, because I really want to hear you delve into that. Because we've talked about it a lot, but I've never got into oh, yeah, it. But yeah. anyway, back to Jimmy Stewart. There you go, yeah. Kim Novak <laughs> is at the 
bottom of this very high tower that she's been essentially not pitched off, but not far from it. And Jimmy Stewart is peering down at her lifeless corpse for like the second time in this movie. Mm -hmm. And I guess he's overcome his vertigo. It's like 20 seconds. I love it. It's nothing. It's like falls, none, realization, purge, death. Fade to black. <laughs> oh, but he, we didn't get that. We didn't get the the zoom effect. Yeah. And the name of the movie is Vertigo. So in Hitchcock's brilliant. Yeah. His most his most Rebecca's close. Vertigo's right there. Yeah. Probably a little bit ahead of it, in my opinion. But they're both fantastic movies. Man, I guess he overcame what the title of the film was because it really is about Vertigo. That's essentially what starts the movie. His onset. Of the Vertigo. love interest, femme fatale of sorts, dead. We're yeah. gonna do Hitchcock casks. Oh, that, that, that's gonna be so great. Got to do the birds in there. Psycho. We got to cover those all. Rear window. That's some good stuff. I would even consider doing blackmail. Blackmail. Lifeboat. What's his first uh, uh, first talkie? I know you don't like Shadow of a Doubt, and I actually love that one. That one might be a good film to, to do. do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so there we go. My, I'm, I got vertigo. What You're you gonna love mine, actually. Okay. Uh, some honorable mentions. Man, I love a great bleak film ending. Seven, legendary. Sure. The Mist. We've done it on the show. The Birds. Very open endedness of sorts. The yeah. Descent. Kind of also left open ended. Old Boy. The mm-hmm. original Korean. Fucked up, like messed up, like sleeping with your daughter type of shit. Like that's it's incest. Like that's, but I'm not going there. I'm going a little more melancholy, but all the more bleak. I'm going Midnight Cowboy. Here's a film, 1967, if if I believe, or 1969. God, that's weird that that yeah. keeps coming up for you. Yeah, uh, X-rated film, Best Picture winner. Here you have Joe Buck, John Voight, and Ratso Rizzo, Dustin Hoffman. Hey, I'm walking here. I'm yeah. walking here. Yeah, on their way to Miami, Ratso Rizzo, Dustin Hoffman's character is obviously sick with. It's never really told told what, and so they're trying to get him some help. And Joe Buck's got to get out of this prostitution like uh, like gigolo business that he's in. So they're on the way to Miami, and Ratso Rizzo just straight up just dies on the way. And the, he stops the bus. John Voight. They get the bus driver involved. They're like, yeah, you just might want to just close his eyes and everything. And the bus driver's like, yeah, nothing to see here, people. Just, just a sick man. And just the regard, the the non regard for human life in this sequence. And people just kind of looking, voyeurs surveying, like, well, what the hell's happening over there? But whatever. Like, let's get to Miami Beach. And because Razzle Rizzo is just such a low life bum, loser, whatever. But all John Voight had to sort of figure literally, out it's what... it's this friendship of gold. Then it's literally all they they only have each other. I don't, I, I, Butch. I don't know if Butch Cassidy and Sundance precedes this movie mm-mm, as far as mm-mm, from. A, you might, man, Jesse. Again, I don't have. I'm just off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. That might be the launch of the first bromance. Yeah. Right, I mean, we could get yeah. into well. There's been team ups here before. But, no, 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 no. Yeah, that's that. That might be it, man. Like two friends like finding themselves at very different crossroads to like, and then it's just the way it ends. And the bus keeps going. He puts his arm around him. We fade to black with this like it's not. It's not. I thought always thought it was the Harry Nielsen. Um, everybody's talking, but it's actually John Barry's like harmonica score. Mm. And man, you just leave, you're just, you're just wrecked. I think at the end of that, you're just like, oh, who knows what Joe Buck does after that? Was there, I love it. You know, mm-hmm. I love that film. Mm-hmm. That's a great choice. Yeah. What about, did you give any consideration to the French connection? It came up for me for a minute, but did, mm. 
No. I'm not, not necessarily bleak. To me, bleak is almost depressing. That's kind of where I drew the line, too. Like, I don't know if, like, the bad guy wins, but I don't know if um, if Popeye Doyle is left with nothing the way some of those others are. I kind of like that ending, too. But that's a different That's a different ending. That's just like, it's just like, it ends and just like, you know, whatever. Like, the, yeah, the bad guy gets away at the end, or the bad guy wins. Mm-hmm. But then Papa Doyle's kind of a bad guy. Yeah, that's a right. diff- that's a different episode, man. I mm-hmm. the French Connection is one of my all time faves. So mm-hmm. awesome, Matt. This has been a great episode. I hope you've tuned back in after rewatching Prisoners if you haven't seen it to listen up to this far. And we're gonna close out the cask next week with Knives Out, directed by Ryan Johnson. You know, this is probably a good thing. Like, and you know, we could talk about whatever we want about Star Wars: The Last Jedi, and there's a lot of parts of that film that I really do like probably a good move for him as a filmmaker and he's done great things like you know brick and looper and uh, the, the brothers bloom and a few other things to kind of take a step back do something smaller mm-hmm. uh mystery ensemble de- piece detective ensemble i think he's got man a knockout cast right tony collette daniel craig chris evans Jamie Lee curtis christopher Plummer. oh just he's, he's got the he's got the deck here so i have no i know what the movie's about it's murder mystery gotta find out who killed dad um, but I'm curious to see what the path is to kind of get there. We have two chances left, Jesse, to save to save 2019. 2019? Okay. I mean, and maybe something will sneak up that I'm not aware of right now. Mm-hmm. We have Knives Out, and we have the final installment of Star Wars. I, I want to throw in there too, and you mentioned it earlier that 1917 Sam Mendes film. I don't love all war films, but him with Deacons and what they're like a continuous like that's ambitious. Like that's. And World War One, we don't get a lot of that, um, unless it's like uh, all quiet on the Western Front. So I'm, I don't think I, I'm going to see that movie. Yeah, I'm not as as high on that film, I think, as you are. You you really do like the process more than I do. So I get if it's all one take, how how ambitious that is and how difficult. I think that can be a good story. What about that Irishman um, on Netflix that's coming out? Okay, so that one, yes. Mm-hmm. Are we including, though, Netflix? Because we, we the have, other one I want to do is that Uncut Gems with Sandler, too. And I don't know if that's this year or if that's 2020. No, that's, that's here. That, here I'm, I I'm, I'm, that's got... That might be Punch Drunk Love, but what Punch Drunk Love was if it was good. <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? I do know what you There's mean. There's been a couple times where Sandler stepped out of bullshit... Juvenile role, lucky duty, turkey day, lucky. <laughs> Stepping out of that, rain over me was close at times. Yeah, yeah. to where maybe, may, and like it's that stuff that sneaks up on you. That sometimes <clears throat> prisoners. I've heard, and so this is just the rumors because, like, you know, I pay attention to like some like the Oscar stuff. And we have to consider the Irishman. It, it's a different platform, but if okay. it's in the conversation, we have to consider it. Is that two weeks from now? It's next week, actually. Okay. Um. Man, best actor is going to be interesting because you throw in the likes of potentially an Adam Sandler, um, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, and then we kind of kind of tell back to maybe Taron Egerton as Elton John. Like, like that's a pretty interesting type of like race to like who's who's kind of like you know who else it might be not best actor but best supporting. I think's got a crack at this. Hmm. Shockingly. Hmm. You never you didn't see Midway yet, did you? Mm-mm. Fucking Dennis Quaid's really good in that, and so is Patrick Wilson. Mm. Both those guys. I don't know if it's their movie because I don't know whose movie that is, other than the main pilot guy. Like, and I don't even know what that dude's name is. Yeah, Dennis Quaid as Admiral, not Nimitz, and Woody Harrelson's really good in that too. Mm-hmm. And those character, those historical character pieces. Yeah, 
we tend to sort of kind of like sometimes. And yeah. I feel like we're in the place where it's about time to like one of those again. Yeah. We'll see about that. We'll see. Just you should actually go see Midway. Yeah. You really should. It's that's that's a really solid film in a really forgettable year. <laughs> but I'm with you. There's a few things I can say that man, yeah. I'm, so we're down okay, so what are we saying? Maybe four things. We've got Knives Out, we've got The Irishman, we've got Uncut Jewels, and we've got Star Wars. Yeah. I'm actually not going to put Star Wars on there. I, I'm I'm pretty certain that that's going to completely undeliver again. So hopefully for you, you have four, and I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. I think I'm down to three. Yeah. Let's see what we got. Let's see what we got. Until next week. Cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. Cheers. I got to get going. I just, yeah, I hope I never go through a scenario that any of these characters in this film have ever gone through. This is like, it's just an unenviable film. <laughs> I got to go, man, because I got a blue dress I got to pick up at Clive Owen's House of Dry Cleaning. Oh, dear God. Excellent, Rye Nation. Thank you all for the love, for the downloads, for the listens, for the follows, for the comments. We truly appreciate you if we don't say it enough. But until next time, we'll we'll see you next week. Rye Nation, for both Jesse and myself, we are so thankful for you. Have a good week, everybody. God bless, and we'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, Stitcher, and leave us an email at ricemileproductions at gmail.com. Prisoners is property of Warner Brothers Pictures, Summit Entertainment, Madhouse Entertainment, 838 Productions, and Alcon Entertainment, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time... Cheers.